0: <laughs> Let's do the
1: entire podcast in dog <laughs> How lewd But what if there is <laughs> no tomorrow? There wasn't one today Fascinating Get away
2: from her, you bitch I've I'm Batman Do or oh,
3: do not There is
0: no tomorrow.
1: Welcome to episode 97 of the NerdFest podcast. This week's nerds are...
3: John Farben.
1: Kerry Skipson,
3: Peter Johnson. Andy Chandler.
1: And I'm Hazel Chandler. Today's episode is a buff or bluff one where we try and bamboozle each other with movie facts, some of which we have made up. And it's about time that I had another one of my shameful gaps filled. This time... <laughs> This time it is. You're loving now, Hazel. (laughs) Well, this time it is a turn of Jim Carrey uh, because. (laughs) What's funny about
2: this? (laughs) I can just imagine the smile on his face that he made. (laughs) Uh,
1: I watched the Truman Show for the very first time, so find out what I thought of it later on. In the meantime,
2: let's start our show. So I had my first cinema trip in nearly two years on Friday night. Where did you go? Uh, To the cinema. (laughs) Hence the... Fuck you, John. (laughs)
1: What what did you see?
2: Uh, A film.
3: (laughs) Actually, I think we should
2: just talk about something else. Let's not bother
3: hearing what he has to say.
2: Yes, I I, I don't want to talk about it too much because I will talk a lot more in the next episode. I think my recommendation will be Last Night in Soho which is the film that I saw. Mm -hmm. But spoilers, it's brilliant.
1: Yeah, you said on the last episode it's going to be one of the few films that tempts you back. Mm -hmm. And are you glad it did?
2: I'm very glad I saw it at a very big screen with very good sound because the soundtrack is absolutely amazing. If you're a fan of 60s music, just go and see it for that, if nothing else.
3: Mm. And the, the other one you mentioned was The French Dispatch, which I think you went to see recently, Karis. Oh, I
4: absolutely adored it. I, I don't see trailers to, to films anymore, but I enjoyed it so much because I knew very little about mm. it.
1: It was Wes Anderson's
4: latest. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I is it,
3: it beautiful and strange?
4: It was beautiful. It was, it was weird. It was a little bit dark. Uh, it was, it was a gorgeous, gorgeous movie.
2: Can I hazard a guess it's quirky and Bill Murray appears at some point?
4: You would
1: be correct.
2: How did I guess? <laughs> <laughs> there was a
1: quiz that Andy and I did this morning on who has appeared in the most Wes Anderson films. Is it Bill Murray or is it Owen Wilson? Anyone want to guess?
2: I would guess Bill, Bill Murray. Murray. I would say Owen Wilson because he was in Bottle Rocket
0: oh, and yeah. has been in
2: pretty much every one ever since. And Bill Murray's first one was Rushmore. Mm-hmm. So I would perhaps say Owen Wilson has been in one more than Bill Murray.
1: Owen Wilson has been in seven, less Anderson films. Bill Murray has been in eight.
0: Ah.
1: <laughs> it
4: was a fantastic, not, not just the, the storylines that were threaded throughout, but even, like, the small roles where, where people had one line, it was a star-studded cast and everybody was... Am- Tilda Swinton. I mean... Oh, oh, yeah, that's all you have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Tilda Swinton, there you go. If, if that doesn't make mm-hmm. you want to see it, then... Brilliant.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I've, I'm, I mentioned before, haven't I, I saw Tilda Swinton out a very muddy Glastonbury Festival just walking through the field, somehow without a bit of mud on her, like the mud... <laughs> <laughs> repelled, like yeah. she repelled the mud she looked absolutely right. stunning literally just gliding through a field of tens of thousands of people we going, that's tilda swinton
4: she's an angel that's why
2: mm-hmm.
5: and so did you go push her over or something oh.
2: I, I, I tried oh, that was my, my my two celebrity sightings other than obviously on stage and stuff were tilda swinton and steve davis
1: And you chose to push over Tilda Swinton (laughs)
0: instead of Steve
2: Davis. Steve Davis was on a hill. It would have been unfair. (laughs) Was he already covered in mud? He had his record collection because Steve Davis is a trans DJ now. This is insane.
5: I don't believe you.
2: He genuinely is. um, (laughs) He walked past us clutching a box of records. And we went to see uh, the band Dutch Uncles at a tiny little stage doing a surprise slot about midnight then at 1am in the morning, Steve Davis came up with his records and started DJing. And sure. we're like, well, that's why we saw him with that box of records earlier.
5: Sure, sure. That happened. And Steve Henry, <laughs> actually now a Colombian drug lord. Yeah.
2: I mean, I, I'm not saying that 1am in Glastonbury, you're never entirely sure of what you're seeing. <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was real.
1: Should we do some buffs or
2: bluffs? Yes, let's. Yes, let's pointing at people
3: that's useful on an audio podcast
2: that's a sound of that's a pointy sound (laughs) and it's landed on andy yay i don't see it (laughs) but i
5: will go first Now, um, I keep talking about the streaming service Mubi on this podcast, and I keep directing you wonderful nerds to super fantastic Mm -hmm. weird films. For some reason, you don't seem quite convinced (laughs) yet. So I'm going to talk more about Mubi. Here are two films that I have watched on Mubi, and one silly thing that I made up. The number one is Undir Trenu, which translates to Under the Tree. It's a 2018 Icelandic deadpan comedy-drama about a feud between neighbours in suburban Reykjavik. Uh, Abjorg and Conrad are annoyed that their garden receives no sunlight due to the enormous tree growing next door in Inga and Balvin's garden. This ignites a feud which inevitably culminates in a brutal fight to the death involving a nail gun. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden it turned into a John movie. <laughs> Number two. Chaihai e pa which translates loosely to Angry Forest Champion. It's a 2008 action film from Laos. Uh, It's a loose adaptation of Tarzan.
2: It's a Laos adaptation. (laughs) Oh!
5: Good one. Very well done. Why didn't I think of that? (laughs) Uh, The main character is a wild man named Zhang, who, with the help of his animal pals, notably a tiger, a rhino, and an army of flying squirrels, defends his forest home <laughs> against American invaders trying to clear the area to build a skyscraper. Squirrels, fly! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my pities. <laughs> Interestingly enough, um, this was one of the very first independent films permitted by the communist government of Laos uh, and its popularity sparked a small movement which has become known internationally as Lollywood. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Lollywood?
5: Yeah. Like, you know, Bollywood and Nollywood.
3: And yeah. Laos Dolly- is Lollywood.
2: Was it, was, was, it, was, it, was it any good? Because it sounds lousy.
4: You're on fire today, John.
3: Unfortunately, not.
5: (laughs) It had its virtues and also one or two flaws. Number three is Volleyball Brackets, foot film, close brackets. It's a 1967 short black and white film in which a volleyball is rolled into frame and comes to rest at the feet of an individual wearing sneakers, only ever viewed from the knees down. It then cuts and repeats the exact same action from slightly different angles again and again for 10 minutes solid. The end. I gave it five stars. Mm -hmm. Why did you give it five stars? Because I thought it was an excellent uh, satirical critique of uh, the inherent meaninglessness of sport. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, And once we're done here, no cheating, but... um, So
2: I was just checking the lead score. (laughs) Well,
5: we'll have all seen a sport at some point that we didn't care about, be it football or golf or cricket or whatever doesn't float our boat. And... Have you ever just thought it's a weird, slightly ritualistic, repetitive, nonsensical, boring series of events, and this is exactly what they generate mm-hmm. in this, this um, short film? It's ludicrous and intentionally boring, but it really, really did quite perfectly capture the feeling I get when I'm, I'm watching, I mean, golf doesn't do it for me. I suppose all sports are inherently pointless and only have meaning that we project onto it when we care about the outcome. And if I'm telling the truth, you can go onto the movie website and you can read my review of five star quality mm-hmm. to that effect.
2: Now I, I had a movie subscription for a while and the only reason I got rid of the movie subscription was that it has the single worst app I've ever used on my TV and was completely unwatchable. So there's a review for anybody who has an LG TV, don't get movie on it. But there's some good stuff on there and there's mm-hmm. some very weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so I can buy all of those being on there.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm particularly prepared to believe the third one, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I know one of these movies to be true because Andy tried to get me to watch it and I said, no, thank you.
2: But <laughs> <laughs> That could be any of them. I don't think you'd enjoy watching the first one, so I think you would bow out the first one. Well, I, c- s- I
1: can tell you which one it was.
2: The The <laughs> second one sounds like Andy's fever dream. That's the one I was
5: thinking he would made up. Yeah. Jai Hai Esenpa, Angry Forest Champion.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: for sure you've made that yeah
2: yeah i mean lollywood i know you like a bit of is it nollywood Well, collywood. Yeah. yeah so i think yeah. so now that you've seen all the delights that wakollywood have to offer you've sat and went where else should they be
1: <laughs> do you think the second one has a louse relationship with the truth
2: yes oh
3: very good
1: do you want me to tell you which one i know to be 100 percent true yes the volleyball one
2: I see. Yeah. Right. The
1: one we were all pretty certain mm. on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, and Andy has genuinely left a five-star
2: review for it. I oh. want to watch it.
4: Yeah, it does sound mm. quite good, actually.
2: But you'll still
5: think that after the first minute, I don't mm. know. It makes its point and then just keeps on yeah. going for in, not, not 90 minutes, but 10 minutes.
2: You you see my stand-up set, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> not yet, John, no. <laughs> One day... <laughs> The, the, you know something that starts off interesting and funny and then becomes incredibly dull, but then you just keep at it till it becomes funny again is kind of my name of your sex tape. Name of my sex tape. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I think the second one is so much a film that Andy would love to see. Mm-hmm. You know, he has,
1: yeah he he's made up stuff with squirrels in the past. I'm sure isn't like there had been a giant squirrel in one of his fake plots before? A
0: giant hummingbird in one
5: of. Them. Oh, okay, well still. Yeah.
2: Mm. Did you mm. did you wear the squirrel outfit in the end that he, he bought? It's a weird it just seemed a weird obsession. <laughs> <laughs> and where did you keep your nuts?
1: <laughs> I was looking for nuts, I didn't wear them.
3: Anyway, I
0: Will we No, it'll stay there. Hello everyone.
3: <laughs> uh Hello, I'm, Andy's I'm gonna I'm gonna plump for a squirrel. <laughs>
1: The uh, Icelandic one, there's been a few movies on Mubi that um, set in Iceland that Andy's really liked. So I'm kind of inclined to believe that one's true. Squirrel as well. Squirrel.
2: Squirrel. Canis, okay, so have you given your vote already? Oh, uh,
1: number two. Number two. It's unanimous.
5: Do you think that I made up Laos and Tarzan versus the American developers? Yes. Yes, yes we do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's not true. Made it up. But I did have fun uh getting onto Google Translate and coming up with a a name for it. Mm -hmm. I Um, imagine
4: you did. I can just imagine you Ty- type in with two, two fingers like that.
5: And my pronunciation of the Laotian language is, uh, I've never done it before. Well, so, Chai Hai um is the best I can do and is probably completely wrong, so I do apologise. I would say that um, modern Laotian cinema has actually been developing since 2008 when the government first allowed co-productions with foreign companies, although it is still severely hamstrung by strict censorship. Um, I don't think they make anything quite as retrograde as my bluff and no one calls it Lollywood. <laughs> apart from me.
2: If anybody would like to see Mubi, then it's available on most streaming platforms. If anybody would like to see Mubis, then I have an OnlyFans account. Um, <laughs> £10 a month.
4: Oh, speaking of subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Ooh. John, you know how you told me about that trick that if you unsubscribe, they'll give you an offer?
2: You now cancelled all your TV I cancelled
4: by accident my meditation app and it's been very stressful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they did
4: not call my bluff they're too calm they just bow out it's extreme acceptance with those guys so I had to re sign up so wow. yeah I'm not
1: doing that again
2: and now every time you do your meditation you think of me and get vaguely annoyed
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> well give us a chance to call your bluff Paris and uh, let's have you go next okay my buffer bluff is about the lost
4: boys Ooh. who's seen the lost boys yes
2: a long long time yeah. ago
5: so I put my hand up but it's an audio podcast I have, <laughs>
4: have. what did you think
5: I liked it and um, Kiefer Sutherland's haircut was amazing it, it was, was great and so
3: is it yeah. 80s or 90s
4: 87 did yeah. you see it in the pictures
2: no um, early video I yeah think. I would have been eight when it came out so I think I was probably just too young to see it in the cinemas
4: the first time I watched it I was full of cold and I had no idea what was going on because I was on these like cold and blue tablets And uh, I was like, what the hell was all that all about? And I watched it again when I felt better. And again, what the hell was all that about? (laughs) I had no idea. Anyways, I still enjoyed it. And here are my buffer bluffs. Number one. The film had its own cereal that was released that year called Milk Teeth. And was to symbolise the innocence lost by the gang when they became vampires.
3: What sort of cereal? Oh, You mean um, like breakfast cereal? Cereal, yeah. All right, okay. Well, it might have been a TV cereal. No cereal. <laughs> okay.
2: But they're called TV
3: series.
4: Cereal, Peter. Uh, num- number two. Cereals
2: are weird things, isn't it?
4: It is. Here's something, cover it in milk.
2: Yeah. Why would you pour milk over it and then eat it? That's just weird. What- why? What do you normally do with it? I don't have cereal. I have toast like a human being. I have I'm both. not sure
5: why I haven't yet been to see your stand-up section.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: number two. The actors
4: who were playing vampires could only keep their contact in for a few minutes at a time because the eye contacts back then were heavy and irritating, like me. (laughs) 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 The the tear at the end that runs down David's face at the end wasn't in the script. It was because of the irritating eye contact. Number three. At the beginning of the film, the Lost Boys step off the carousel in the order that they die in. So there's some excellent fear shadowing.
2: Mm. So uh, they're on like a, like a carousel, like a horse thing. Yes,
4: yes. They're, they're on, not they're,
3: standing on a slide projector.
2: No. They're,
4: they're on a, um, yeah, they're, on a, they're at the fair. They're at the yeah. fair and they're on a carousel and they all step off in the order that they die. Oh. Hmm.
2: Mm. I like a bit of foreshadowing. So I like that if that's true. I've heard lots and lots of stories in different films about people really struggling with contact lenses.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm.
2: Particularly, like, yeah, the, the big ones that sort of make your eyes look bloody or or blank or something. So I can believe that's true. Breakfast cereals in the 80s, there was, there was breakfast cereals for pretty much everything, wasn't there? You would get like a, it was like the tie in product.
4: Mm-hmm. That was when breakfast cereal was a really big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Many people actors realized... got their starts in breakfast cereal adverts. They did, yeah. You, you could, mm-hmm. anything was breakfast cereal in the 80s.
2: Yeah. Mm.
3: But would you market? What significant would Lost Boys be? Fifteen it, it or was, eighteen? It was,
2: um,
1: I think it was eighteen, was it?
5: Yeah. Which, but, but even if they did a cereal, would they have called it Milk Teeth? Wouldn't they have called mm. it Lost Boys? The cereal or something more very obviously tied in with, mm-hmm. with the film?
2: Did you know the tiger from Mandy that the keeper the, that mold somebody got it starting a Foster's advert?
5: <laughs> Tony. I, that is yeah. complete <laughs> bullshit, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and it's owned by Steve Davis, yeah. Unless he
2: was also
3: animated but still <laughs> managed to maul someone.
4: It, it says here that it's a twelve, but I don't know if that's an updated I
3: think that's a be now, but I think yeah. it might have be been higher but earlier. I,
5: mean, I could believe that there was a, a breakfast cereal tie in, but milk teeth is doesn't control uh-huh. particularly delicious images. I wouldn't want to start my day by eating a bowl of teeth.
4: I would eat a bowl full of teeth.
5: You'd have to leave them a very long time for the milk to set in. There's um, like crunchy.
1: sweets, they like like milk teeth things. Am I making that up? There's like a yeah, there are like an American candy thing, mm. uh, sort of mm. soft foam yeah, things. Soft foam things, cow feet.
2: Lost Boys wasn't R rating in America, but as we know, that didn't stop things like Rambo getting a cartoon series or Robocop. and RoboCop. Yeah, that's the one that doesn't quite ring mm. true to me. I imagine it was a Lost Boys breakfast cereal, but the idea of having what is really kind a complicated metaphysical concept about the loss of innocence. Yeah, but, and yeah, it's but... not
5: unknown for breakfast cereals to kind of delve into the world of, of um, philosophy and, mm. and um, psycho psychological <laughs> analysis. I mean, yeah. look, at, look at bran flakes, for example. <laughs> and if you need me to explain that, then yeah. you just won't get when it. When Ian
2: Botham had that fourth wheat in the 80s, it was really was a cry for help that bus was missed. <laughs>
5: Yep, and then right. I mean, look where that
2: led—Brexit. Mm. Brexit. Brexit.
3: Right. right. It's important business. I have definitely decided cereal um, for me. I reckon the
5: cereal as well, but mm, I mean, I, the, the other ones are very believable. Uh, we're, we're not really giving a lot of thought. Isn't to the that foreshadow. how it works? You pick the one that's not believable.
1: Yeah, we well, mm. glossed over the third one. The foreshadowing.
5: Um, I mean, it, it sounds like the kind of smart thing that, that would go into a film. However, yeah. The Lost Boys was directed by Joel Schumacher. Yeah. <laughs> May he rest in peace.
0: Yes, <laughs>
1: had a few duds, but he yes, some great films. The none of them are coming to mind. But...
0: He did
2: did. a John Fishman adaptation that was pretty good. I can't remember the name.
1: Do He do uh Tigerland, which I f- I hear that the uh, Frosty's Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he did phone booth. I remember that with Keith. I like movie. that. was oh, yeah. something yeah. that was great. I like
3: the simplicity of a thing. It's yeah. where the movie's just set in a tiny yeah. space. If you can make it, and work. A
2: real time. Mm. Yeah. The client was the um, John Grisham film that he did. Now everybody mm. likes Flatliners. That was a decent yeah. film. I was the about that one. Seven Elmo's Fire, and then Batman Forever. A time to Kill was okay. Eight millimeter, but but he had a bit of Nick Cage action going on. And eight <laughs> millimeters, a that's is, uh, that's possibly not nick cage's finest moment you said that about every moment (laughs) saint elmo's
5: fire that that reminds me of the very best part of the lost boys which is the inexplicable saxophone solo on the beach party at the start the Mm -hmm. oiled
4: up man i've I've that a number of times
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's great
5: uh more more songs and films should have completely superfluous Mm -hmm. saxophone solos i think
1: i'm gonna go for the third one just because it makes the most sense and therefore it can't be true okay mm-hmm. John
2: I'm gonna go for the breakfast cereal Andy breakfast cereal you yeah. do
1: okay I made
4: up the cereal yeah. yes <laughs> I did so if you want to eat a bowl full of teeth you'll just have to
3: steal them
2: from from carrots Rob the tooth fairy.
4: <laughs> who's Rob
3: the he's tooth he's called fairy? Rob he's <laughs> <laughs> called Rob yeah uh, shall I go next
1: you look ready
3: I'm poised
1: <laughs> you're not very poised
3: <laughs> no not really they're creepy and they're cooky, mysterious and spooky. And I have three altogether ooky facts about the Adams family. Da-da-da-da.
5: And so on.
2: <laughs> Herman <laughs> Munster was my favourite.
3: Well, funny you should say that.
2: <laughs> it wasn't that
5: funny.
3: <laughs> it will be later. Still not seen your stand up show. <laughs> Number one The Adams family were created in 1938 by cartoonist Charles Adams but didn't get the famous names of Morticia, Gomez, Wednesday, Lurch and so on until the 1964 TV version. Number two. The Addams Family feels quite similar to another dysfunctional family of monsters living among us, the Munsters. Those two shows premiered on US TV in the exact same week, in
0: 1964.
3: And number three. In the animated Hanna-Barbera cartoon version, the role of giant butler Lurch was voiced by Fred Gwynn, better known for starring in The monsters as Herman Munster. You rang? That's all I know. Yeah, (laughs) that's about it, really.
2: I'm pretty sure I know, because I think I know two which are true.
5: Well, the second one, uh, The monsters and the Addams Family debuting in the same week, was that just coincidence, or was there something behind it? Did someone steal an idea? I think it was
3: probably a race, because they were both based on comics published in the newspapers, and one heard that the other one was on the way, and... I read somewhere about the makeup for one of them being varied when they realised it would make them look too much like
2: the other family.
1: Hmm.
2: Annoyingly believable.
1: <laughs> Does yeah. anyone know about the names
2: Morticia and? So is the bluff that it's based on a comic strip by no. Charles Adams? That's No, true. that was
3: just background.
2: So the question: the the bluff is, did they only get their names in the TV series? Yes.
5: <laughs> were they just nameless characters beforehand, or did they have other names? Fred and Wilma and Barney and Betty and.
3: I think they were nameless before
5: that. It was collectively, the Adams family and Adams one, Adams two. Mm. Mm. Annoyingly believable.
2: So, the Adams family and the Munsters definitely premiered about the same time. Whether they were as close as premiering in the same week, I guess with the way TV seasons work, it's likely that they came out in the first week, mm-hmm. new TV season time.
3: So, I don't know if it helps, but the Adams family ran for 64 episodes and the Munsters ran for 70. Mm-hmm. and eventually they both pretty much got eclipsed by Batman, which came out in 1966, a year and a little bit afterwards. Mm-hmm.
2: I was always surprised they both only ran for two seasons, and it's just we've seen them in repeats for years and mm-hmm. years ever since.
1: Does anyone know the lurch fact?
2: That's what I don't know anything about. Yeah, me too, I have no uh, idea. Okay. And I was bizarrely just coincidentally reading about the Adams Family the other week and the various different versions of it. Because there's a new one coming out, obviously, the Tim Burton one. Mm -hmm. And I think I remember reading about the cartoon series and the people that were casting it. Because in the 1970s TV series, Pugsley Adams Mm -hmm. was voiced by a very young Jodie Foster. And Mm -hmm. I nearly used that as a buffalo bluff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So are you talking about the 70s one or the 90s one?
3: I do have a fact that Pugsley was voiced by the guy who played Eddie Munster in The Munsters.
2: Yes, that's presumably in the 90s one. And John Astin voiced Gomez in the 90s one, mm-hmm. who is surprisingly still around and still active. John Astin? And yes, he's still teaching.
1: That's Sean Astin's it's dad. It's
3: Sean
2: Astin's dad, Adopted.
3: Mm. Uh, the adoptive father.
1: Mm-hmm. Is Tim Burton still casting Johnny Depp as Gomez?
5: <clears throat> no. Whoever has to step into a role, Julia's shoes, has got a mountain mm. to climb. He was mm-hmm. amazing.
1: And he do the second one when he was really, really ill. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So much about Street Fighter the movie afterwards,
1: sir. <laughs> There's something fishy about the first one, because Peter seems to know other facts about the other ones, but the mm. first one, I don't know.
2: <laughs> I think it's the third one. Karis?
4: The one about Lurch. Third one. I don't know that much about that. I'm going to go with that.
5: Okay. I'm going for the third one as well, because you had your uh, extra fact about... um Someone from the monsters, voicing Pugsley, and I think you've um, done some dishonest extrapolation.
3: You mean lying?
5: Yeah. (laughs) We're alternative facts. Yes.
3: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think you're a liar. Yes. In fact, I realised when I gave that piece of information, I was probably (laughs) giving too much there. So, yes, the... Hazel, what do you think? I thought she'd already (laughs) said.
1: I I said I was having problems with the first one, but I hadn't officially declared third one, you might <laughs>
3: <the> oh. <laughs> oh dear okay we'll give you points for that then <laughs> in the pointless game <laughs> it, it, exactly yeah did anyone when they grew up remember there was an urban myth that pugsley grew up to become meatloaf
4: yes i do remember that <laughs> yeah because he does look a bit he does look mm. a bit like a... <laughs>
3: that one keeps just coming up years after years after yeah. years the house was built for a different movie, and then they moved it to Colonial Drive on the back lot at Universal Studios, which means that the house can be seen in Buffy and Desperate Housewives because <gasps> it's one of the houses mm. along that mm. road.
2: Very mm. strange you talk about the Munsters and the Adams family, and they are both being rebooted this year and next year.
3: My third thing I was going to mention is that Rob Zombie, who we mentioned last week, has been hired to do a new Munsters movie
2: yep it's, it's, it's happening, it's filming. His wife, Chevy Moon Zombie, is the new. Oh, what was. Lily? It was Lily Munster, yes. And it looks awful.
3: Oh, well, there's a the surprise. There's, yeah. <laughs> Hazel, what have you got for us?
1: Okay, so uh, we are back doing live in-person improv classes and soon we'll have an in-person gig um, that some of us will be performing in. Why is No one told me about this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it's going to be the first time in nearly two years that we've done that, so I thought we'd celebrate. And My Buff or Bluff is about scenes or lines that were improvised uh, in both TV and films. So we all know the famous ones. So Harrison Ford's I Know response to Princess Leia's I Love You and the Are You Talking To Me scene from Taxi Driver. But these are some improvised scenes that you might not be familiar with. One of them is written in the script, rather than made up by the actor. Number one, Robin Williams's and Billy Crystal's cameo in Friends. So in the cold open of a season three episode of Friends, Robin Williams played a character named Thomas, who was going through some marital issues, and Billy Crystal played his friend Tim. The never planned to appear on show, um, the show, and their entire exchange at Central Park was totally unscripted.
0: Hmm. Mm.
1: Number two, Jack Nicholson's line in A Few Good Men. So we know that Jack Nicholson famously improvised the Here's Johnny line in The Shining, and it turns out he has another classic that wasn't in the script, and that was in A Few Good Men. So the line originally read, you already have the truth, and Nicholson decided to change it to, you can't handle the truth.
3: Mm. 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 <laughs> mm.
0: Mm. <laughs>
3: I listened mm. to a Film Stories podcast about that very thing, I'm sure, not that long ago. Okay. But I can't remember what the, what the answer was.
1: <laughs> Number three, Brienne of Tarth's exchange with Jamie Lannister in season three of Game of Thrones. When Brienne has uh, Jaime prisoner and she's taking him back to Westeros, they get into an exchange about Brienne's power or, according to Jaime, lack thereof. He says, There are three men in these kingdoms who might have a chance against me. You're not one of them. In the script, Brienne didn't respond. She just starts rowing faster. But Gwendoline Christie decided that her character should respond. And so she came up with this line. All my life, men like you have sneered at me, and all my life I've been knocking men like you into the dust.
2: Mm. Well, I love that. <laughs> so the second one, mm-hmm. You Can't Handle the Truth, was that not already a famous play?
3: It was a play, yes.
2: yes. Yeah, and I know you're having a worship, and I think you'd be very upset if one of Aaron Sorkin's most famous lines wasn't actually <laughs> written by Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Wasn't there a
3: thing that if you're in an Aaron Sorkin thing, you have to do the script absolutely yeah. word perfect? If Isn't he, that also a thing? If you
1: change even the punctuation, he comes on and goes, points at the script and goes, no, you have to just say it like this.
5: Yeah. Would mm. he dare do that to Jack Nicholson, though?
2: Mm. I think he would. I think he would. I know he improvised most of his part in The Departed and people were just kind of like looking at each other off camera going like we can't use any of this, so they just kind of let it roll then try to fix it in the edit to some extent. They just had to edit around him? Quite a bit, yeah. I think they, they kind of That's annoying. let him run on. How do you think this podcast normally works? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've been recording for five hours all day. <laughs> also, going from you already have the truth to you can't handle the truth mm. puts a completely different meaning and slant on that scene.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the truth is not the truth then. So
2: I have trouble with that line being improvised because it's so famous and so mm-hmm. integral and it's Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> uh, I have no idea on the other two Billy Crystal and Robin Williams. Presumably they were just hanging around on the set.
1: I believe they were filming nearby.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that one. I don't think I knew who either of them really were when I first saw that episode of Friends and it confused the hell out of me because it had <laughs> nothing to do with anything mm-hmm. else. It that was last going week, on. wasn't it? <laughs> True. <laughs> And uh, the Game of Thrones one. That seems. No
3: opinion on it. It seems almost too long to be an improvised line, if that makes sense. As in, it requires Mm. a degree Mm. of structuring. It's almost like a two part answer rather than just a one thing.
2: I wonder if it's not improvised in that she just came up with it off the spur of her head while the cameras were rolling, Mm -hmm. but kind of said, I want to say something here. And the director said, well go away and cut with something. something. Yeah. I think
3: that does count as improvised yeah. for this purpose.
1: Yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the script, it was that Brain doesn't respond. But yeah, Gwendolyn Christie thought, I need to respond to that mm-hmm. dig. Thank you very much.
3: If she hadn't
5: responded, wouldn't the scene have felt very different? Um, or was her character supposed to be quite stoic and I don't care what you think about me?
1: Um, I guess it was an actions speak louder than words thing and um, she was taking out her frustration in the... She was taking out her frustration in the way that she rode and it kind of gave the audience a, mm, maybe she's stronger than she looks.
2: If you heard a noise on the audio then, that's because every time Hazel says rowing, she's <laughs> capable of saying the word rowing that, without was, doing a rowing mime.
3: Which was funny because she did it once, <laughs> made, made a noise and then t- decided <laughs> she'd have to redo it then did it just a few inches higher but still had to do the same motion.
1: Just trying to get my steps in. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go for the Game of Thrones one, I think. While uh, you can't handle the truth, there's a better line. The meaning is effectively the
3: same. But I think due to the, the size the of the change. The meaning is completely different. Mm-hmm. Really?
2: Mm-hmm. But that's the bluff anyway. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's between that and Game of Thrones. I'm going to go with uh, Sorkin. I'm going to go with that one.
4: I'm going to go with the Game of Thrones one because I don't know Game of Thrones very well. The other two make sense to me. So I have got two
1: for Jack Nicholson and two for Brian of Tarth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that the Billy Crystal and Robin Williams entire scene was improvised. They just sat on the couch and did what they did. They were filming nearby and uh, they were asked to join the episode. Although Aaron Sorkin is famous for not letting actors change even the punctuation of his script, no. he let Jack Nicholson have this one. And Ooh. You Can't Handle the Truth is improvised.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: Ooh made up the uh, Game of Thrones one um, that was always in the script.
2: Yay! <laughs> <laughs> you, you you got me good and proper there. We couldn't handle Excellent. the truth. You <laughs>
0: <laughs>
5: Wait, so how does the setup to the line in A Few Good Men go again? Is it Tom Cruise saying, um, I want the truth, and the response yes. is, you can't handle the truth. Yes. And he would have said, um, you already have the truth.
2: I reckon that's effectively the same thing.
5: <laughs> it is effectively an admission that you already mm-hmm. know it.
2: You already have the truth, but you can't handle it that's why you're trying to ask for something else. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's yeah. a
5: better line, it's a richer yeah. line, but ultimately the response to um to is this true yeah. or is this false is, is the same. So I think it's it's less
2: of a change. I stand by my logic. Yeah. <laughs> and if you enjoyed Grammar Pendent Fest, uh, <laughs> like and <it>, subscribe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> John, what have you got?
2: Well, we are recording on Halloween day. Mhm. Uh
0: mm-hmm.
2: albeit by the time this comes out, uh, Halloween will be a dim distant memory and we'll all be looking forward to not getting anything for Christmas because of Brexit. Um, So think back to those happy, (laughs) happy Halloween days. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I've got for you three freaky Frankensteins. Okay. So Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster has appeared in hundreds of films over the years and there's been lots of variants of Frankensteins. There'll be alternate Frankensteins. Here are three films featuring Frankenstein adjacent type creatures, one of which I have made up. Number one, Frankenhooker. <laughs> when a man's girlfriend is run over by an electric lawnmower, he seduces a series of prostitutes, killing them all and taking body parts, which he then stitches his ex girlfriend's head onto. Uh. Trouble arises when the girlfriend's angry pimp comes looking that's, for trouble. That's
1: when the trouble arises. <laughs> <That's> <laughs>
2: Everything up to that point was yeah. fine. Yeah. Frankenstein conquers the world. This is a Japanese film. Nazis steal the heart of the Frankenstein monster and transport it to Hiroshima for testing. As a result of the nuclear bomb in Hiroshima, they end up with a 25 foot tall Frankenstein creature that battles a giant lizard called Baragon before being bowled into the centre of the earth. <laughs> wow. Mm. Mm.
1: Mm. Mm. Uh-huh. Do we need to go on?
2: <laughs> number three, <Franken> Seinfeld. <laughs> this is a short Hungarian film featuring Hungary's number one Jerry Seinfeld impersonator, <laughs> Stefan Goranswitsch. Bullshit. When Kramer dies in an unfortunate accident, rather than admit the truth, Seinfeld and George stitch him together and bring him back to life. He goes on a murderous rampage throughout the city before Elaine finds him and calms him down. Uh, the they set features, for some reason, a 15-minute scene in which Stefan, dressed in zombie makeup, performs Seinfeld's stand-up routines to a bemused audience. I
4: oh, love that.
5: <laughs> I will point out that uh, Mubi has a lot of um, Hungarian shorts um, on it, and they're all exactly that insane. Mm-hmm. It's still a lie, though. Do they yeah.
2: have Hungarian tops as well. So Frankenstein Seinfeld isn't on there.
3: Uh, no, not yet. It also sounds like something you would make up if you had very little time to prepare this morning, John.
2: I suppose a Frankenhooker. Mm, yeah. see,
5: I, I, I mean, believe dis- that despite one, unfortunately. your podcast persona, I don't think you would make up
3: anything quite that abhorrent. And also I'm pretty sure that's true. Yeah. I was
2: expecting Frankenweenie to pop up as mm-hmm. well.
1: Do we think he's made up Godzilla
2: versus
1: Frankenstein?
4: Oh God, no, that's the um, so like normal to, of like, all of
2: them. I'd like to make it clear it wasn't Godzilla, it was a Godzilla knockoff called Baragon.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: I think it's number three.
2: Frankenstein filled.
4: Because <laughs> you can't see it without giggling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: In fucking Hooker, uh, he had some explosive cocaine that makes the prostitutes explode when they take it. If that helps.
4: <laughs> Amazing.
2: It does have a quote on it from Bill Murray said it was one of his favourite films of the year.
3: Uh, how did that happen?
2: <laughs> um Bill Murray wandered onto the set, watched it, said this is great, and um, some exploding
1: it cocaine. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and the director got him to give a quote said it was one of the best movies of the year, which got put on the poster.
5: <laughs> so number three is the lie. Possibly. Definitely. Frankenstein
1: uh, I'm still going for number two. Number three. Three.
2: I'm pleased to say that all of you, apart from Hazel, are correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Thank God for that. I should make it clear it's an electric lawnmower, um, which causes the electrocution. Oh, as well as,
3: that makes sense.
2: Yeah, rather just a normal lawnmower because that it doesn't make that, sense. That would, that would, that that would be, be cool. that, would, that would be ridiculous.
5: <laughs> oh, a manual one. Yeah, that would have taken <laughs> <very> <laughs> ages. <long time. laughs>
1: now it's time for a feature that we like to call "Shameful Gap," and it's when one of us nerds fesses up to never having seen a movie, which is. Well, fairly famous, um, acknowledges their shame <laughs> <laughs> and uh, watches it for the very first time and comes to the pod to talk about it.
2: Who is it? Who is it?
1: <laughs> It's me.
2: <gasps> You've never seen Frankenhooker. <laughs>
1: no, thank God. I've never seen The Truman Show.
0: Shame.
1: Shame, <laughs> shame, shame. So shame. I have now had one of my shameful gaps filled. I resisted for a while because I was so certain the experience was going to be very painful.
3: It's Jim Carrey, isn't it?
1: I have a thing about Jim Carrey in that I don't like him.
3: (laughs) He's he's very nice about you.
1: (laughs) I thought I didn't like him. But you know when you settle on an opinion or something when you're like 18 and then suddenly that is... Wrong. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um I think that's what I did in that, you know, I can't remember why I didn't like him. I just kind of settled on the fact that I didn't like him. It might be because might be because I thought maybe he overacts a little bit.
3: A bit. <gasps> a no, bit. Does
4: he? <laughs> no he <it> doesn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yes, I've I've avoided a lot of his movies over the years. Everybody told me that the Truman Show was one of Jim Carrey's most believable performances. But yes, I'm a bit stubborn. But in the end, last weekend, I gave in and I watched it for the very first time. And it's really good. Yes. Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> so, for anyone who doesn't know, the Truman Show's concept is that one man, Truman Burbank, played by Jim Carrey, is the star of his own TV show. And yet, the only person who doesn't know that is Truman himself. Cameras have been following him ever since he was born. And uh, TV producers, led by the main creator, Christoph, played by Ed Harris, have dictated the course of his life, from who his friends are, to who his parents are, and even whose wife is. The town is Sea Haven Island, and it's filmed inside an enormous dome. And everyone in the town, apart from Truman, is an actor hired to play a part. The show is filmed 24-7, and it has a huge following around the world, and it makes its money from product placement. So, for example, when Truman's wife, Meryl, played by Laura Linney, is making a hot chocolate she sort of holds up the brand and describes its benefits we come into the film as the show is approaching its 30th anniversary of being on air and as the film goes on truman starts to suspect that things aren't all as they seem especially when his father turns up who apparently died in a boating accident when he was a child as part of a plot to ensure that truman became afraid of water and wouldn't venture beyond the boundaries of the studio The film was directed by Peter Weir, and it was inspired by an episode of The Twilight Zone. And when it was released in 1998, it received huge critical acclaim and numerous Oscar nominations. And it's held up as a film that explores the concept of reality, surveillance, sort of Big Brother type scenarios, and the right to privacy. I really, really enjoyed it. I became really invested in the character of Truman and how he wanted to make the best of his life. But things happened in a way that he had to settle, such as missing out on the chance to be with the love of his life, Sylvia, who is an extra. And she is played by Natasha McElhone. And she has been trying to tell him the truth. And in the real world, Sylvia is part of the Free Truman campaign, which fights to have Truman released from the programme. It does get quite serious at times, Um, like when Truman is at the peak of his suspicions and he goes on a car chase across the city, only to be blocked by emergency services claiming all sorts of outrageous disasters and preventing him from travelling too far. Um, Then he comes home and he gets into an intense, quite physical argument with his wife, who breaks character and is written out of the show. I really enjoyed uh, seeing his character go from someone who seemed quite naive and oblivious to this slow realisation that everything that happened around him was happening to him um, and that his whole life had been a liar. I thought Jim Carrey was extraordinary and really rooting for him against the TV, mm-hmm. <laughs> the TV producers who were increasingly resorting to dangerous and potentially fatal measures to try and keep him on the sets uh, and their show on the air. So the film even gave rise, apparently, to a, a medical syndrome, the Truman Show Delusion where sufferers believe that their lives are being staged Mm. and that they're being watched on camera. It's a a condition. (laughs) John's looking around. (laughs) Watching it for the first time in 2021, when many things have happened since the release of the film in 1998, it makes it seem like it did a pretty good and eerie job of predicting the future. The rise of reality TV, artificial reality, false information online, And none of this tech was mainstream in 1998, so it's quite impressive, you know, how accurately they've they've, they've portrayed this sense of, like, mixed reality. Hmm. Surveillance as well, it's become a huge topic of conversation, particularly after the 9-11 attacks and how much we were willing to give up our personal freedoms to governments who wanted to track us 24-7.
3: It's because those themes are all still so contemporary and so important now that it feels like it's not a 20-year-old film.
1: I found it terribly convincing and terribly real, uh, but oddly still very entertaining at the same time. Did anybody watch it when it first came out?
2: Yes, I watched it at the cinema when it first came out, and I watched it again most of it this morning. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, I remember loving it at the time, and I, I'm very similar to you in that. I didn't like Jim Carrey,
0: mm-hmm. but
2: he's, he's, he reminds me a little bit of Adam Sandler, that he's terrible in most things, but <sighs> once five years really surprises you
5: he's yeah. got his comedy shtick hasn't mm. he and that is very
3: polarizing It's sort of a yeah. marmite kind of thing and you do still see it a bit in this film though don't there you there are moments and, yeah where he you almost don't mad. want that it's like it escapes from him and you almost don't want it to do that you want him mm-hmm. to be the more yeah.
5: serious side for this one he's capable of that though and um he's at his best i think when he sees doing serious drama
2: i was amazed at how well it held up it just didn't seem dated at all mm-hmm. and lovely little bits like a set design like when you watch the set you see the cameras mm. everywhere hidden like in in the bins, there's like a little black circle in the front of the bins, which is obviously a camera that they're pointing towards him. I have one issue, logic issue though.
0: Mm-hmm. He
2: grew up in this town and mm-hmm. never left, but he has a yearning to escape, which obviously they don't want him to do. Mm-hmm. Why in this world did they build a travel agents and have travel <laughs> magazines and a boat and a train why not have a world where boats don't exist and trains don't exist and travel agents mm. don't exist in order to because stop that potentially happening
4: the of, the world, wouldn't he? mm. but he's not yeah.
3: really exposed to it because he doesn't have normal tv does he he just gets reruns mm. of i love mm. lucy and yeah. things
1: yeah. i guess they have like plan b's for everything like the bus that he gets on to go to boston and it breaks down so mm-hmm. even if he wanted to go somewhere um he would be stopped
3: but i, I loved all these sort of doom and gloom disaster posters yeah. in the travel mm. agents and things that was <laughs> <Yeah>. fun <laughs>
2: what got me watching it is how incredibly cool what they're doing to him is. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I didn't really pick up on that So I was watching this one and I was just thinking, it's horrible what they're doing to him and the way he's... Yeah. Been-
1: it's like, he put him in a prison. Well, mm-hmm. a very nice prison, but yeah, he has no... Mm choice or control how he lives his life at all
5: i think the film's good in the first half but really ramps up to another level when you start seeing the show producers and you start getting these questions about the Mm. the morality and uh, i really enjoy the christoph character and this is um obviously ridiculous and evil justifications for what he's doing and saying things like um truman prefers his cell as you call it and Mm -hmm. I really like that aspect mm-hmm. of it. And then um, the ending um, where Truman is speaking to Christoph, who is the disembodied voice of God, effectively. Yeah. Probably my favourite part of the whole thing.
3: Uh-huh. Supposedly, they never met while filming. Did you oh. know that? I did mm-hmm. not know that.
2: Were you aware of the original ending, which was probably slightly darker, but also very in keeping with it? Originally, he opened the door, stepped outside, and there was hundreds of people there waiting for him with cameras and video cameras filming him and leaving. So you got that indication uh, that he right. was never actually going to be yeah. entirely that's free. That's the
1: kind of thing that you forget because you, know, you you see Sylvia just being so delighted that he's realised and is now free, and you think that they are now going to have the relationship that they always wanted. But then you don't think about the ramifications of him. Mm-hmm. He, he is mm-hmm. a he's probably one of the best known faces in the entire world, and his life is now going to be different, but still being mm-hmm. watched. When I watched the Truman Show, I was quite young. pre-teens but
4: watching the trailer for it again this morning i I kind of re-approached it with more experience and understanding of Mm. social media and Mm -hmm. reality television and it kind of hit me how dark it is Mm -hmm. be really interesting to see like black mirror style sequel to Mm -hmm. it where he like tries to have a life in the Mm. normal world outside to realise that that's also artificial. Mm. Was there Mm. any other
1: plans to have a sequel? Does anyone know?
3: Not that I've ever heard of. It raises a couple of weird things though as well. I mean, for instance, his screen wife is essentially being paid to sleep with him. Presumably. It's quite a weird thing they don't even touch
2: on. Yeah, I thought Mm. that when they were talking about having a child together. I'm like, would she expect it to? And she's doing so much work...
4: Mm. Being his wife, mm-hmm. and mm. once you cast in that role, mm-hmm. that's it for life. I
1: imagine. I, I presume that she not doesn't have a family. Like she doesn't go home to mm-hmm. another family outside the dome. That, that's it. Twenty four seven.
2: Yeah. And she's clearly not that keen on him. Mm.
1: By the time that we see them, they yes. have certainly passed the stage of marital bliss. Yes. Mm.
3: And another thing which they're explaining is they kind of followed him from day one. So you just think surely the first three or four years at least must have been deadly boring when he was just like a baby and oh, it's for like sure. oh yeah he's crying again oh was a bit more crying
4: <laughs> and do you ever find out about the parents like his real parents um, no. he's an he, orphan he's a, yes oh, okay. he's an yeah
3: orphan. he's one of five or six and he was the one who happened to be born at the date they scheduled to start right, filming okay. and the mention in it that he was the yes. first person mm-hmm. ever
5: legally adopted by a Called TV Bush. studio yes. oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh,
3: and also. Following all through his teenage years, what do they do when he's masturbating furiously?
4: On the toilet. Oh, they
5: they, they just um, <laughs> pan the camera away to a window where a wind
3: flutters at the curtains and uh-huh. they play some soft piano music. But
4: there'll be people who want to Wait, see that. Me. <laughs>
3: not
0: me, personally, not
3: me. I-, I enjoyed seeing them try and cope with things as he threw them a curveball. And the idea of what they must have had ready to go at all times, ready to kind of, Mm -hmm. people to pile in with police cars and lots of people.
1: Like everyone has an earpiece, don't they? Like say this or do this. Yeah, They're like hardcore improv actors really, aren't they?
3: I was going to say it's a bit like Louise's nightmare because it's a whole town of improvisers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think the logic of it probably falls apart if you think about it too much, the logistics of running that show.
4: What if he went on like a murderous rampage?
3: Ratings. Good TV. Mm. (laughs) Well, oddly, the first director was going to be Brian De Palma. So maybe you would have done if Brian De Palma had directed it.
2: It was originally a much darker script, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, set in New York City rather than like in a little small town. Written by
3: Andrew Nichol, who did uh, Gattaca Mm. and a few other sort of dystopian things.
2: Because I imagine
4: if you worked out that your life was this artificial show, some people might genuinely crack.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah.
1: Mm. Definitely. Mm. And
4: stab somebody. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Given that we did speed last time, that we did, did a you? shameful gap. Yeah. <laughs> I, I it was just a really shy person. Uh, oh <laughs> Dennis Hopper was originally cast as Kristoff, but mm. he only lasted two days before they decided he wasn't working. So oh. they had to cast around and found Ed Harris instead.
4: Imagine pretending to be somebody's best friend your whole life.
3: Yeah, because his, his mate, they'd known each other since they were seven. Since they
4: were mm-hmm. child- children, yeah. Yeah oh god it's so dark <laughs> it is. I, I, I just don't know how morally you could like you'd have to be a sociopath yeah yeah mm-hmm. to do that
5: one of the major themes of it is um how we can use other people without regard for their feelings and their rights and uh one of the ways to demonstrate that is um with cutaways to people who are watching the show and you get reaction shots from from various people and they keep going back to them And then the very final shot of the film is um, a couple of police officers who have been watching throughout. Mm. And um, this is after he's escaped and then their response is, all right, well, now, okay, now what else is on? And it's just that transient thing of um, this man's
3: life was just um, light entertainment. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I I like that that aspect of the film. See, I read that scene in a way as, now this has stopped, they're going to go and get life instead. Oh no, that, I suppose no. they're not. They're just going to change channel and watch some <laughs> mm-hmm. other rubbish.
2: For the premiere and some big screens in America, they wanted to set cameras up in the cinema mm-hmm. and outside the cinema to film the audience. And then at the end, it would switch to the audience watching the film and realising that they'd been filmed throughout.
0: <laughs> <God>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Has anyone like, had that syndrome, Like felt that at stages that their life was being filmed? Yeah. Yes, oh, I have. Yeah. I have.
5: Only ever after
3: having seen the Truman Show. Though. Oh, well,
2: yes. Mm. Sadly, I was cancelled after two years. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you shouldn't have said those things.
2: <laughs> and it was interesting that they chose to have like a very humdrum life for him. Like he was working in, in an insurance company and things like that. Which presumably is what the audience wanted.
3: So people could vicariously live a more comfortable life. Yeah. I mean, if it really happened, though, it would they would be throwing obstacles at him yeah. every week or two there'd be a whole new thing wouldn't there mm-hmm.
4: how would you ever trust that you have true privacy ever again i would be really creeped yeah. out by the fact uh-huh. that i've never had any yeah. privacy my whole life like moving mm-hmm.
1: into a new house and checking every nook and cranny for cameras and mm-hmm. the, the little
4: mm-hmm. things that you you do that when you think nobody's <laughs> 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 not that i do anything <laughs> <laughs> really, really creepy guys <laughs> but uh
1: It just
3: freaks... We had the curtain played with the squirrel costume, right? I'm sure I heard something about them going through a Japanese love hotel with scanners to work out for hidden devices and finding like 23 different radio transmitting cameras in it.
2: There was in Prague for a while a brothel called Little Brother and you could go in and it was free to use the ladies, but it was being filmed. People would pay to log in and watch over the internet, and that's how they made their money.
4: So people yeah. just watch you go for a wee.
2: You you're doing brothels, wrong, curse. <laughs> <laughs> You it's said go in You did say the ladies
4: go in and use the ladies. I thought you meant like if you wanted to go in.
1: Okay. <laughs> oh right.
3: Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, actually, I, took I, me, I didn't that get that I either. Thought, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I thought
1: that. Well, I assume there are people who will pay for that. Hang
2: on. Have I been using toilet Throg. <laughs> right. i done. Or prostitutes. Throg.
1: <laughs> you mean and do?
2: It's it, good enough for. It. It. It's
3: good enough for me. Oh. Oh, <laughs> oh, gee I'm going to have to bleep that. Oh no. He is rather litigious. Yeah. Hazel, how many hidden cameras out of ten would you give it?
1: <laughs> I would give it nine hidden cameras out of ten. Ooh, that's mm. strong! Very high. Yeah.
5: And will you watch any more Jim Carrey films <laughs> as a <original>? result? No,
1: no. <laughs> um, I might give it a go. Yeah. Mm. Any any recommendations? I've never seen Man on the Moon. Eternal Sunshine.
3: Mm. Yeah, Eternal Sunshine that. is great. I wasn't a fan. Uh,
2: you, mm. That's a bit more Jim Carrey stick in that, isn't there? Mm. But I do I love I, Kate I, I I love it, but I understand how you if, if you don't like Jim Carrey, you would yeah. hate that mm. film. I love that film. Yeah. yeah. Man Man on the Moon's really good. Mm. Um and we'll send you down an Andy Kaufman Wormhole. That's definitely my recommendation. Okay,
1: I'll
5: do that. I've got the uh the VHS or maybe even the DVD somewhere. <laughs> so we can watch You're Your modern man yeah. here.
2: <laughs> Going back to um The Lost Boys and Joel Schumacher, did anyone ever see the number 23?
5: Yeah, yes. I actually enjoyed it at the time. but
2: It pretty much killed Joel Schumacher's and Jim Carrey's career for a few years. Yeah, it's, it's good. not good. How many numbers out of 23 would you <laughs> give it?
5: Um, 2.3.
2: <laughs> that
1: is all we have time for for this episode of Nerdfest. Uh, we are getting close to our 100th episode. Just a few more to go. So if anyone of our audience has any suggestions on what we should do or features that we should cover for episode 100, you can... you can let us know uh, via our social media we're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook and you can also leave us a lovely lovely review which would mean a lot to us and as always John has a special prize for anyone who does that
2: John I, mean, I kind of don't this time cause I'm really really busy um, <laughs> but if you do leave a post uh, I will send Hungary's number one John Farthing impersonator round uh, to do whatever you like whatever whatever
1: Okay.
2: you mean there's more than one <laughs>
1: It's a short list. We will be back in a few weeks' time. Until then, you've been listening to...
2: A man who's just managed to stitch himself back together after the lawnmower incident.
4: A woman who is eating a ball of teeth. Whose teeth. Ball of yours.
0: <laughs>
3: a man who is both cookie, spooky and
5: ooky <laughs> A man who is looking forward to watching a volleyball roll around the floor for the rest of the evening. <laughs>
1: That's apparently, my evening, too.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a horrible name to call. <laughs> oh. uh,
1: and a woman who would like to say to all of our listeners in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good, good evening, happy good night, night y'all. Oh. We'll see you in a few weeks. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. It's really hard to say those things with
3: no teeth. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Louise told me you say that tushy means arse. Yes, that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, okay, so when I was a kid, my mum used to refer to my teeth as my tushies and say, <laughs> <laughs> and say, brush your tushies before you go to bed. Brush your
3: arse. And do, So you were doing it wrong, John. <laughs> I get I
0: was doing it wrong. <laughs>